Okay. All right. So today on American Conversations, we have Stephanie Lucretio, who's the uh, advocacy liaison. She's the advocacy liaison for um, children's self-defense, and she's co-host of Community Corner. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Christine, for having me. Well, listen, I'm excited. To, I'm excited because I recently saw you down in Washington, D.C., but I wanted to bring you on because I got to know you a little bit better. And I wanted to talk to you about your son, Louis, um, and why you're involved with, um, you know, advocating for the education of people about uh, the possibility that a vaccine could be damaging to someone. So uh, tell us about Lewis. So Lewis is 14. He is my one and only. He's the love of my life. And I remember the day that he was born, um, not knowing. I had a very, very bad pregnancy. It was tumultuous. It was chaotic. There was a lot of medical interventions that I wasn't comfortable with, but I had you know, some issues getting pregnant. So I just wanted to make sure that I had him. And I remember them taking him for his bath and him coming back with the Band-Aid on his leg. And I said to the nurse, what happened? She said, oh, he had his first vaccine. And I said, what vaccine did he have? Hepatitis B. So I said, oh my God, I have hepatitis? She says, no, you don't have hepatitis. And I was, I was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Why right. would you give my three-hour-old son a vaccine for a sexually transmitted bloodborne illness that his mother, who's the only person that he's in contact with, does not have? How does that make any sense? And she said, well, it's just the schedule. It's just protocol. And in that minute, I was like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So I said to her, do me a favor. Don't take my son anywhere. He stays with me. I don't want him going anywhere with you. So he was with me the rest of the time. I remember sleeping that first night with my hands on his chest because I was just so concerned that they did this to him. And I felt like a fool because I didn't know. But apparently right. there's something that you sign in the paperwork that gives you permission and all the fine prints, which should be in big, bold red letters telling you that you're vaccinating your child for a sexually transmitted disease at three hours of age of life. Right, um, right. In that moment, there was something that happened to me as far as questioning, like, I don't know, something didn't feel right. And I remember going to my doctor and saying to her, listen, I want to move slowly. I feel very uncomfortable with the vaccines. I don't think all the ones on the schedule, there's just so many of them. Like I want to do them one at a time. I want to delay them. I want to take it slow. And I used to bring her all of these printouts and paperwork and things that I was reading and beg her, please, please read this. I'm interested to know. Right. Sorry. That's okay. She was my family doctor. So I trusted right. her. And she kept saying, you know, the same standard line vaccines are safe and effective. Vaccines are safe and effective. Okay. Right. So we went slow, but I will tell you, looking back, he was so sick all the time. He always had ear infections, strep throat. We had his tonsils shaved, his adenoids removed. I mean, he was on so many antibiotics for the first couple of years of life. And I am a health coach. I'm organic. I mean, the kid was breastfed until he was like 15, 16 months old. He was eating salmon when he was a baby. Like I, everything was organic. Everything was healthy. So you I was- you teach, you teach yoga, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. All those things are true. Yoga, yeah. health coach, all the things. And, right. you know, I did so much research on what to feed him. I made my own baby food. Like, I was so into all of this BPA-free bottles and the organic diapers. So I'm, like, so confused as to why is this happening. And I remember him having this really bad cold that literally lasted two months. We went through all types of prescription. It was, like, bronchial. It wouldn't go away. Nebulizer. 
And I remember saying to the doctor, something is wrong. This is not right. Something is wrong here. We need to find out what the problem is. I'm sick of putting a Band-Aid on and medicating this child when something is clearly not right. And she gave me some snarky response. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Done. I'm finding a new pediatrician. And I remember sitting down with the pediatrician that I have now and expressing some of the concerns that I had. And he said to me, you know what, if you don't feel comfortable moving forward with the vaccines, let's just pause. Let's do some blood work. Let's see where he is. Um, found that he has the MTHFR gene, which is a gene mutation that makes it hard for him to detox heavy metals, which is a huge part of what's in the vaccine components. Now, did you, find, did you find that out when you did the testing with the second pediatrician? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so focus on that for people to know that yes. that is one of the tests you have to do. Definitely. It's something that should be done on every child because MTHFR really does affect the body's ability to detox. So there's like this cumulative buildup of heavy metals that just sits in the tissues. And it's a matter of when the toxic burden becomes too much, you could be vaccinating your child for three or four years without any issues. And there's that one that you give them that just puts them over the edge. Right. And you're in a situation where there's there's a really noticeable reaction happening, anaphylaxis, seizures, all the things that we see happening with our children. And, you know, he had ADHD. He was always hyper. We found out that he was allergic to milk, which was interesting. So we had some food allergies. And I remember going off of breast milk. I said to my pediatrician, I don't feel comfortable giving him cow's milk. What are the other alternatives I can, I can look at? Right. And she shamed me. She was like... Why do you always have to go against the grain? You know, cow's milk is tried and true. It's been used for years. Okay, this is my, and so I can imagine what your reaction was, was when she said that to you. This is my child, right? This is my child. But then in the back of my brain, it's like, well, you know, she's a doctor. Maybe she's right. Maybe I should give him the cow's milk. So I did because my mother and father were like, you're crazy. You know, we gave you milk. It's fine. So you have all these people telling you it's okay. And the thing that I want to say to moms is that voice, that intuition, that mm -hmm. thing that speaks to you when you know in your heart of hearts something doesn't feel right, that voice has to be louder than any doctor, any person in a white coat or any person on the outside because you know your child better than anybody else. And the day that I found out that he was allergic to milk, I was like, oh my, you know, I should have just listened to myself. Right. So there's right. so many things that happens in that time span. And, you know, thankfully, we didn't have any catastrophic injury. He does have ADHD. He's got a little bit of OCD. Um, he has autoimmune issues. He had food allergies. We recovered him from that. We did a lot of work on his gut, probiotics and enzymes and all that stuff. So we still avoid dairy because I just don't see any need for it on a level of it does nothing for your body. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I don't have to look at the ingredients every single thing he eats, which was very challenging at four years old to have to do. Right. Right. So, so as a result of this, is this, is this why you have taken a deep dive into the advocacy and the safety and, and the examination of not, not just, I mean, it's, it's not just, you're not anti-vax in the sense of you, you're questioning the old ways of doing things. Yes. That's the best way to say this. I'm questioning the fact that doctors presume to know better than mothers. And that 
ancient age-old wisdom that was passed down from generation to generation of these homeopathic natural remedies that people use peppermint oil for fever, being able to put onions and garlic on the bottom of the feet, you know, the garlic in the ear, all the things that we did for so many centuries mm -hmm. that pharmaceutical companies have just taken those remedies and been like, no, they don't work. You need this prescription. You need this medication. The thing that really set me off into this movement was when I was told I have to. I can't opt out of deciding I don't want to give my child, my child, my baby right. that I carried for nine months, I can't opt out of giving him a chicken pox vaccine. I had chicken pox. I'm alive. I'm fine. Why do I have to give him that? I have to give him all these things that I'm not comfortable with. And I remember pulling titers for many years. And thankfully, he had the titer, so I didn't have to continue doing anything. But in New York, where we lived, the religious exemption in 2018, 2019, started to get very dicey. So I remember my pediatrician saying to me, his titers are waning. He's going into middle school. He's going to need another whole host of vaccines that you're not going to want to give him. Right. So you better start thinking about what you're going to do. So we ended up moving to New Jersey, which was. So let's talk about that, because in yeah. some states now, because California, New York, uh, Maine have passed. There's no in Connecticut. There's, there's no religious exemptions for vaccines. And so there is a groundswell of people talking about moving out of those states because they they do not because they cannot get religious exemptions. So right. so that was one that was the catalyst when you said, okay, bye bye New York, bye -bye New, York. New Jersey. And yep. then they tried to pass it in New Jersey. I unpacked my boxes. I actually got to the point where I didn't want to like go outside and hang myself from the trees in the backyard because it was a very big life change for me. I grew up New York, born and bred, Brooklyn, Staten Island, never pictured myself in New Jersey, but you do what you have to do for your child. Right. Finally created this home and here comes this bill that's going to do the same exact thing that I just moved over the bridge for. So in that moment, I remember saying to myself, okay, because vaccines, religious exemptions, it was like the secret society. You just kept quiet. You didn't talk about it. It was just something right. that you knew. And in that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going live. And I remember posting in these crunchy groups and saying, can you please support me? I'm really nervous about doing this because it's such a contentious issue. But I wanted to make people aware of what this meant. Because in my opinion, if they can force you to vaccinate your child against your will in order to get to school, what else are they going to force you to do? Are they going to force your child to take ADHD medication, take Ritalin because they're not behaving in school? Like once you give up. Well, that has, that happened. That, that, oh, ha that happened, you know, decades ago. And they even tried to pass laws in California. Uh, I think it was in the 1990s. You know, the, the school was going to decide whether or not that they were going to give the kids the drugs. And there was and recently, this child that was 13 years old had cancer. They went through all the treatments. Right. When he was in remission, the family decided that they wanted to give his body a break, even though the doctor's recommendation was to continue with 40 more rounds of chemo. Do you know that they went to court and the court ordered that they had to continue the chemo against the parents' wishes? Otherwise, they were going to remove the child from the home. So these stories are happening more and more every single day. And it's basically pharmaceutical companies inserting themselves, government entities inserting themselves into the decisions that parents and parents alone should be making. I do not co-parent with Merck. I do not co-parent with Governor Murphy. I do not co-parent with Governor Hochul. It is my decision, my child, my choice, period, ends of story. And that's what reactivated me because 
my son is a talented athlete. He's an amazing hockey player. He's an amazing student. He deserves every opportunity that every other child gets, regardless of his vaccination status. It should not even be a thing that is taken into consideration. So my parental mama bear instinct, when I saw that bill come out, just went up and I knew that someone had to go first. Someone had to be the one to speak out. And I, I have the gift of gab. I was told I started talking at six months and I haven't right. stopped since. So right, I said, right. let me make the video. And from there, it was just this two year marathon and it hasn't stopped of being in Trenton, being in Albany, being in the city, being in Connecticut, fighting side by side with all these moms and dads and grandparents who just want to be able to choose for their child, what they put in their body and what they don't. So do you have, do you have a group of people that are in Connecticut as well as in New Jersey and in New York? And so when you call them up and mama bears, the mama bear, super mama bear calls up and everybody shows up. Is that, is that the name of the game? That's the name of the game. I mean, you, you have to support, you know, this is not one state issue. Every state that falls prey to the removal of religious exemptions leaves other states vulnerable. So if you are in a state that's close by to another state that's fighting for their exemption, mm -hmm. people need to get in their cars and drive and be there because it can easily be you in the next couple of months or the next couple of years, depending on what state you live in. And it's moving quickly. I mean, this train has picked up a lot of speed since COVID. The blessing of COVID, I believe, has been that more and more people are starting to recognize that these mandates are unconstitutional and they're violating our right. rights as humans and as parents. So, um, if, so have have you have you gotten to know more people that are thankful and grateful that you kind of stepped out first and said okay let's run and then there, because i mean a lot of times it, it take it takes a lot of effort for people to and i don't want to say take to the streets but to become activists because some of the shyest people will end up they won't lead but they'll show up right and that's the truth. I mean, I remember during Trenton times, I was going live every single day with the three things you can do today. Because the truth is people are paralyzed by fear and thinking that they don't know enough. And what I want to say to anybody that's new to this movement, that's just starting out right now as an advocate, mm -hmm. it does not matter what you know. It matters what you do. I remember making my first phone call to my assembly member. I had no idea what the difference was between an assembly bill and a Senate bill. When right. I called, I gave the wrong bill number. Like I did not understand the legislative process at all. It's very easy once you get to know it. But the truth is, we haven't been programmed to think that we need to be part of that process. And with everything that's happening right now, it's so important that you understand how a bill becomes a law, that you get to know your local representatives, that you start to have these conversations about what matters to you, what's important for you and your family in that district, in that state, so that your voice is heard and your vote is counted. Because if they don't hear from you, it's not on their radar. And it's that first step, that first step that always feels the scariest. But once you take it, I never imagined myself to be a political person. I never imagined myself to be in these conversations, but out of necessity comes this part of you that just all of a sudden develops this strength and this aptitude for things that you never thought possible. So just get involved with the community, start to get involved with your local elected officials. And when you show up to these rallies, yes, it's exhausting, it's cold, it's hot, the elements, there's all the things, totally get that. 
But what you get out of being in these communities and standing shoulder to shoulder with like-minded, like-hearted people, some of my best friends have been born out of being involved in this work. What about the fathers? Because it seems to be that there's more fathers that, that are that are standing up now for their children, which I think is great. The papa bears are, are I mean, they're, they, the mama bears sometimes will lead, but the papa bears, when they get involved, I mean, they're, they're just in the room. Yeah. It's, it's been remarkable to see how much diversity we've had in these crowds for medical freedom and these rallies recently. I mean, typically it's been painted as a suburban white mom's issue. And mm -hmm. when you go to these rallies now, I mean, I see every walk of life, every political party, every race, every religion, every profession represented in the crowd. And there was a rally a couple of weeks ago in New York, because, of course, now the mandates have spans far beyond the children. And now they're going for first responders, healthcare workers, educators, right. you name it, they want you to have it. And looking at the shot of these people walking over the Brooklyn Bridge, it was so many men. And it made me so happy to see our men standing up and being out there, standing for medical freedom together, because again, it's dispelling all these myths. And now these people in office that are making these ridiculous laws really need to look at the variety of constituents that are taking to the streets to say, no, this isn't your choice. It's my choice. And I'm not going to comply. I'm going to hold the line. You want to come after my livelihood? You want to come after all the things that we've been promised as American citizens. This is where we draw the line. So it's been fantastic in the sense that this conversation about vaccines, this conversation about mandates right. is so prevalent right now. And so many people are engaged in this discussion and we need this. We need these conversations to be happening because it's encouraging people more and more to come out, to share their story, to be seen, to be heard, and to be out there being part of the change. Because truly, we know, Christine, this time is going to be in the history book. So you can either be on the right side of history, mm -hmm. or look back and say, wow, I should have done more. Well, it, 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 it eclipses the whole word, you know, the definition of freedom. Because if you don't have medical freedom, then then what's next? Okay, I mean, you, you can get into Bobby Kennedy has talked about, you know, how the, the Bill of Rights has been ripped apart. I I don't disagree with Bobby about any of that. I I, I what I saw in twenty twenty and what I continue to see now is something I I've only seen in third world countries, and I never thought that my homeland would be would be looking like a third world country from all the countries I've ever been to. I mean, it's just it's it's scary in some ways, and this is. Uh, and I don't know how many Americans really appreciate what it is that we have and what it is that it is so different from other places. But when people tell you that we're, we're going to put something in your body and you don't have a choice, you might as well be in a concentration camp. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's time to sound the alarms because really, I think that people think freedom is just free. And if you look mm -hmm. back in 1776 and the revolution and everything that led to all of these freedoms that we hold so dear, that we were born you know, with, we were born with the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We didn't have to fight for it. It was just given to us. And now with this COVID threat of it being slowly taken, it was like a slow erosion. Like, oh, it's two weeks. You have to do this. Oh, now we've got to do this. Now we've got to do this. And before you know it, it's you have to take the jab to keep working to be able to function in society, I can go vote in New Jersey and not show my license, but to go to a restaurant in New York City, I have to show right. my license and my COVID vaccine ID card. Right. It's just so crazy what's happening.
Well, I think also that the, the people people are not taking the, pe the people who want to have this type of behavior, this controlled behavior. They're not thinking long term either, because economically, people will walk away from the theater. They'll walk away from the movies. They'll walk away from the bars. They'll walk away from the restaurants because they'll build their own. That's right. And when you and when and it's the field of dreams. If you want to draw the line, then people will say, "Fine, I'll build my own," and then people will show up. And that's where they're not being creative. That's not, that's, I mean, there's no, there's no long-term thinking about this because people will say, you don't, okay, fine. If this is your policy, you're not going to get my money. Right. And they'll walk away. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, that's really what we have to do. You know, my son is not in traditional school for the first time in 14 years. We made the decision this year with the mask mandates here in New Jersey. I did not want him wearing a mask. He did not want to wear a mask. Right. School is not the same as it was before COVID. And he realized that when he went back for that short period of time last year. So mm -hmm. we found a hockey academy, like homeschool co-op that he's going to. And yes, you know, it is inconvenient. I miss the bus. I love the bus. He gets on the bus. It's magical. He goes, he comes back. I'm not Uber all day long. But right. I will say, you know, the small inconvenience, the financial inconvenience, all the things that are there, it's so worth it to see him breathing fresh air, being able to be taught a curriculum that I'm comfortable with, not being fed all this indoctrination stuff that they're doing in the schools right now, and seeing him be active, you know, being on the ice, being off the ice, really working his body, his mind, his spirit, he's in yoga. Like it's, it's been an amazing thing. It was scary. I mean, it was definitely a scary because change. of the transition. I mean, and and yeah. and you were gonna you were gonna have to shift your paradigm as well. It wasn't just the child. And he he was not comfortable with it for the first couple of weeks. I mean, he was coming home saying, "I don't know." He's supposed to be a freshman in high school, so we had FOMO. He's like, "You know, I feel like I'm missing out. All my friends are at school." And I said to him, look, give it two weeks, go every day for two weeks. If at the end of two weeks, you're really that unhappy, like I want you to be happy. So we'll make that decision. If you want to go back with your face diaper on, like I'll let you do it, but I need you to at least give it a chance. And within like seven days, eight days of being there, he was like, you know what? I, I like this. I don't think I want to go back to regular school ever. I was like, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you you won that, but you won that battle, but he's the one that, cro Lewis is the one that crossed the line on that. That's he great. Did. Yeah. That's and great. I think having those conversations, like I am constantly talking to him about what's going on, the why behind what I do, because during the pandemic, it was very hard for my family. I mean, I was out there in May of last year protesting because I saw where this was going from day one of the lockdowns. I knew that this was going to be a huge change mm -hmm. and things were going to go awry very quickly. So, you know, last year, a lot of people were offended by the fact that people were out protesting. You know, I got so much hate mail. I cannot even tell you how many disgusting messages I got from people because of what I was doing. And it hurt. It was upsetting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, block and delete is beautiful. You just shake it off. You keep moving. Um, <laughs> block and delete is my favorite feature. Block, block and delete. That's right. That's right. Yes. But yeah. you know, it's it's you got to take the good with the bad. And now so many people are coming to me saying, oh, my God, like you saw what I didn't see. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for being a mm -hmm. voice for our freedom when I didn't know that there was something to fight for. Well, listen, Stephanie, I think I think what you're doing is terrific. And, and I and I think I, I, I get such a kick out of, out of the fact that, you know, you left New York and then you went to New Jersey and then they started to do it in New Jersey. But then you just went out there and you just took it on. And I think it's great. I think and now that Murphy has won, 
you're going to have to take it on again. I mean, you guys expecting to fight it again in New Jersey? I'm preparing for what's to come. I know that it's going to be a couple of months of really, especially during lame duck season. The good news is we took Sweeney out. Uh, Senator Sweeney was the Senate president, and he declared war on all the parents after that that victorious day in Jersey when this they is, this is this is when the parents won and, and pushed back against the uh, religious exemption being and taken. He out. said, "I'm coming for you. This is war. We're going to get this passed." Yeah. And we said we're going to vote you out, and we did. Good. So that was a victory. And that's the thing. Like we can all in New Jersey get hung up on the fact that Murphy's back and all the things that went wrong with the election. But we have to focus on the victories that we've had so far. The Battle Mm -hmm. of Trenton, obviously being able to squash that bill was a huge victory. And that took a lot of collaboration and work. Getting Sweeney out is another huge victory. So we have to stay focused on the victory, stay unified as a community. Don't pack your bags just yet if you're in New Jersey. I'm holding. I'm staying. I'm going to continue to fight. And I need all the people in New Jersey to be out there with me. So they'll they'll definitely be work ahead. But I do believe that we have the attention of not only New Jersey politicians, but also the Democratic Party at large. Because what happened this election season in Virginia, what happened in New Jersey, even though we didn't come out on top with the, with the win with Chitterelli, the right. fact that it was as close as it was, and it was such a small margin, and we had some shifts in the Senate and the Assembly, I think has rattled some cages. So I'm hoping that they'll start to realize, just like you see Eric Adams, the mayor-elect in New York, is now willing to have meetings with medical freedom people to hear them out. I think that they're recognizing that they've yeah, kind of pe- too far. Yeah, but people have to be careful because when they start to do that, it always brings me back to what happened with the Catholic Church. You know, they, they, they're, they're so afraid. The most effective strategy is to empty the pews, okay? Yeah. Don't give them the money. And that's, that's, that is when people really sit back and they go, okay, we're pushing this too far because uh, that strategy worked. I know that you have to jump off because you've got a phone call. So I want to say, Stephanie, thanks. Thanks for coming today. We may need you for something because I, I've got my eyes on Connecticut. Okay. Okay. Um, whatever you need, Christine. I was so happy to meet you in D.C. and to be connected with you. And I will definitely be back. I'll keep you posted. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank Bye-bye. you.